Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Calvary Road, and I'm taking it from a book that uh, I read many years ago. It was actually written in the 50s by Roy Hessian. I actually found me a couple of extra copies. But somebody told me it was, you could, you could get it on Kindle, which is neat. But it's a, a book that, uh, as a young disciple, as a young man growing in the Lord and really just seeking more than, you know, of course, it was about ministry and being prepared for full-time ministry. But it was more than that. It was, it was really being prepared as a Christian, preparing me for a life of service, which I believe every single Christian is called to. And so I believe <clears throat> this is kind of a foundational thing, if, if, if anything. It's, it's, I believe, character qualities that are essential for everything that we want to do for God. To just be a disciple, to be a good husband, good wife, father, mother, an employee, whatever it is. Jesus said to the crowd that were following him and his disciples, and he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That was a tall order. Of course, the crowd at the time didn't quite understand exactly what he was saying. So we've been on this Calvary road. We've been moving. You can kind of imagine paving stones as we grow closer, as we go closer to the cross. That's, that's what he told us we needed to go. We need to follow him. That's where he went, to the cross. And he's calling us to follow him take up our own cross, which is denial of our passions, denial of our flesh, some of the things that we know are keeping us from becoming what God has called us to do, to willingly surrender to the sanctifying work of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit specifically in our lives. So we've talked about brokenness. We've talked about submission. We've talked about uh, how God is needing to work inside us to prepare us for what he has. So today we're going to talk about unity, okay? And how, last week we talked about separation. And just to clarify that, in case you missed that sermon or maybe you didn't quite understand what I was saying, we're not called to separate ourselves indefinitely. Matter of fact, more of what we're talking about in separation was what we needed to do in our heart, to separate ourselves unto God, to be, to just say, Lord, you're my one and only, that you are, get our priorities straight, you're the king of my life. And I, as I go toward the cross, the closer we get to that cross, the more we're locked into this life, this journey of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And we're drop, in order to go, we have to drop off things that are, that are holding us back. Our selfishness, you know, our self-focus. So we talked about separation, being separated unto God. We talked about Daniel. We talked about Jesus and his encouragement for the disciples to be focused on what God had called them to be and to do, and that required a surrender, a, a brokenness, but then that separation. But today we're going to talk about unity, because we need to come back together. We're not called to be separate forever, even though there's a time, there may be a season for that, but now we're called together as a church. We're called together to walk in unity, and this is a hard one. This is going to be probably more practical than 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 overtly spiritual, but it requires spirituality to, to walk in it. So let's look at a few things. Unity attracts the blessing of God. 
We know this biblically. We're called to walk this road together, not only in the kingdom of God, but to experience blessing together. It's almost like a harvest when everybody's called together to go out into the harvest and we all rejoice in it. We're all laughing at how much the bounty is because we know that there's going to be more than enough for everyone. And that's the way it's supposed to be, that we, we as, a, as a body of believers, that we, we go into the harvest that is white unto him and we rejoice over even one soul being saved. But Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3 says, how good and pleasant it is is focusing on one, one part of that ver- those verses. But how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together, brothers and sisters, live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. There's a blessing on unity. I love that. You know, if you do a Bible study, you go through and you look for the portions of Scripture that are, you know, you're like, I want to be blessed. So you're going to do a study like that. Okay, where, where in all the Bible is the word blessing mentioned and what comes with it? What is the blessing, and how do I get the blessing? Well, here's an example. When we walk in unity, it attracts the favor and blessing of God. Number two, unity lets the world know that Jesus is real. Jesus talked about that. He made that a a particular goal in his prayer to the Father there in John when he said, Lord, let them get along. Let them love one another because it is that love for one another that is going to be the thing that people look at and say, that's amazing. Because we know how much disunity and discord is out there. We know how much chaos exists in the world. Man, you just have to turn the news on. And we see. We see the hate. We see the struggle. We see the battle that's going on out there. Christians, we've got to live above that. We've got to embrace what God has called us to do. I think this is probably a, a very apropos message for what we have coming up this week. Believers. Christians. It lets the world know that Jesus is real, because if it works in us, then it works. If he's real enough, uh, real in us, then he's con- he, there's a testimony of his reality to the world. Number three, unity requires acceptance of our differences, faults, and sins, doesn't it? I mean, then we need to get together, and we've got to see each other. See, is the church, church suffering from disunity because of our elections? You know, I wonder sometimes. Because there's so much disunity that we, we carry in with us. And I say it shouldn't. And if it is, then we're not showing ourselves to be very mature in the, way, the ways of God. We need to get past that. So we need to look at one another through the eyes of grace. The same grace that we ourselves want, need, Beg for the mercy of God, right? I hope you want mercy, (laughs) because I'm sure you've already had plenty, and you're probably going to need a whole lot more. I know I am. I love grace and mercy, man. That's that. My pastor used to say, "That's the the mercy and grace sandwich, man." I need both pieces to make it complete. And so it requires us looking at one another through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of being able to see our weaknesses, our faults, our differences, and accept one another and move on. Of course, always with the hope that if somebody has an unbiblical set of beliefs or something that's influenced by hate or prejudice or evil, if it's influenced by that, you know, 
there's the hope. See, the, what we're learning is the wrong thing is to attack that. The right thing is to pray, seek God, and do right ourselves. Lead by example. So unity requires that. And number four, because God dwells in unity, it should accompany God's work. God dwells in unity. He's a perfect example of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm missing some water. There it is. Yeah. Talk about uh, some habits there. All right, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 tells us, it teaches us that if we admit our weaknesses and our own sin, we will have true fellowship. Wow. We'll have true fellowship when we walk in the light as he is in the light. That's where unity begins for Christians, by the way. It begins with a self-awareness of our, and, and so brokenness, submission, separation unto him. When, all, when we've done those things, then we can look at one another and just say, hey, I'm broken. Yeah, me too. Where are you going? To the cross. Me too. Let's do it together. And we can do it together. But it's occasionally when you're on that road, somebody comes along and maybe they've gotten that far down the road and they, and they still have a lot of selfishness in them. They still have a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance, a lot of reaction, a lot of touchiness. It makes it hard. And so John is saying here, look, you know, we all have sin. And if you say you don't have any, then you walk in darkness. If you say that you don't have a judgmental spirit, that if you say that, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with you and it's everybody else's problem, then you're not going to fit in real well. The fellowship is not going to happen. In the body of Christ, in the church, Fellowship takes place when we all walk in that awareness. And I, I really see Jesus, really, over the three years uh, of all the ministries doing. Of course, he's doing it, to, you know, ministry to show forth the love and mercy of God and setting up the need for the cross, of course. But I see with the disciples him daily breaking these guys down, just breaking them down. More Every time they would answer something, he'd be like, wrong as they would argue among one another, he would just look at them and they would just melt under his look of love and, and just say, guys, he would expose their, their selfishness. He would expose that. It would come out to the surface. And what do you do when it comes up to the surface? You surrender it to Jesus. You confess it as sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive the sin. That's a good part. I'm convinced that most of our sin comes out when we hang out together. <laughs> That's a little scary, isn't it? But it's true. When the real, when it really begins to compressing out of us, when we hang out together and we bring our preferences in and not our convictions, and those preferences begin to bump up against other people's preferences. And then we have to say, we have to dig deeper how much of our life is built on Bible and conviction rather than just preferences and judgment and prejudgment. Look at Colossians 3, 8 through 12. Good section of scripture. But now you must rid yourselves. He's talking to the church here and trying to get us toward unity. He says, look, if you're going to be the church, if you're going to grow in maturity, you've got to rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, 
<clears throat> Notice that's a choice. Which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. What are we, going, what, what is, what are we being made to look like? God himself. That's the sanctifying work. We have to cooperate with that. Here there is neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. We can apply that very same thing to our times right now. There's neither black nor white. There's no immigrant or citizen. There's no people, there's no place, there's no preferences that we all bring and we hold on to sometimes with the white-knuckled fist to our identity. I'm convinced of that. The more we grow in Christ, the more we drop some of those identifiers that keep us separate. We're supposed to be dying to all that so that we can become one. Because we're going to spend eternity together. And all that stuff is going to fall away like dead scales when we get there anyway. Best to start now. Best to start now. So he's saying, look, let me just remind you that <laughs> there's going, there is no pecking order in the kingdom of God. Therefore, as God's chosen people, and I love that, it's not like that God puts us all down and says, oh, you're all just worthless. No, he's saying he's elevated all of us. We're all somebodies. We're all something very, very special. That's awesome. Because that, that's not favoritism, is it? That means he's, we're all his favorite. And my, my old pastor, Michael, uh, he is my pastor still, uh, he has eight kids. Yeah, just let that sink in. He's got eight kids. And he said, you're all my favorite, which created chaos among the family, of course. But still, that was his mentality. They're all favorite. Because that's the way God looks at us. We're all his favorite. Therefore, as God's chosen... Going on with the verse in Colossians. Therefore, with that knowledge, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because that's what we need to be putting on. Not pride. Not arrogance. Not difference not shoving that kind of stuff up in other Christians' faces. We should be compassionate with one another, patient with one another, while we're all on this journey. Because the truth is, while we're on the journey, we may be a few steps ahead of someone else, or someone else might be a few steps ahead of us. And that's a little challenging, isn't it? Because we react to that. We see somebody going through brokenness. You want, to, you want to goad them into a fight. You want to goad them into, hey, let's argue about this. Let's, and, and when you've got a Christian who just says, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm sorry. I mean, you look at my Facebook page right now, you're going to see no ranting. I haven't ranted in years. Don't do it. All you see on there is my paintings of late. And if that's bored the mess out of you, I'm sorry. I just like, yeah, Andrea, what would you say, man? It's safe. That's exactly right. It's very, very true. Clothe yourselves. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 John 2, 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. I like that, don't you? 
But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. And spiritual darkness, I write down in the notes, is just having no discernment. It's not just about running into things or running into problems. Is that we don't have, when we walk in hatred, when we walk in separation from people and judgment and prejudice and those kind of things, we actually are blinding ourselves. But it's funny, we think we really do see. Matter of fact, we think we see very in, 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 in you know, detail when the truth is we're blinded. And that, again, is a very scary thought. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You know, every once in a while, there's that bull in the china shop that shows up. That Christian who's just not very sanctified. Not filled with the Holy Ghost much. Maybe they're brand new, and they come in, and they're just running into everything, and, and, and they think they're important, and you're just like, you're like having to put the thing back as that Christian goes walking through the church. And, oh, they just ran into that. and oh. Okay, look, you know, have a seat, have a seat, you know. And we got to be patient with them because they got to learn too. And it's going to take them a little bit of time. I mean, I would love to be able to pastor a church where we all go and grow in maturity together exactly at the same pace and level. But that tells you a couple of things. One, we're not leading any new people to Christ. And two, that gets boring after a while. You know, hanging out with just a bunch of holy people, I mean, you got to yeah, mix it up sometimes. Get somebody who says, <laughs> check them out. They still think there's something. They don't know it's not about them at all. That's all right. It says, make, let me go on. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you in a life worthy of calling you to receive, be completely humble and gentle, bearing and with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Man, when I see Christians, whether it be leaders, when they come in and they're angry about something and they're, they're just so frustrated and they're so determined to tear down something, I just look at them, brother, sister, slow down, chill. And it is sometimes a real battle to make every effort. And you know, I try and I'm sure you do too. Sometimes you just got to say, look, I, I'm sorry, you, you want to walk this journey I'm going to let you walk that journey. I'm not going to knock you down. I'm not going to chain you up. I'm not going to push you to the side. I'm just going to let you go because what you will learn very quickly is that it's a very lonely place and it's painful and we reap what we sow. Francis Schaeffer said, and this is a quote out of the book, Jesus is giving a right to the world. He's giving the world a right. Upon his authority, he gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born-again Christians on the basis of our observable love toward all Christians. Yeah, they have the right to do that. Schaefer was right when he went on and maintained that the world cares very little for doctrine. One thing and one thing only will arrest the attention of a world that has disavowed the very idea of truth. The love that true Christians show for each other and not just for our own party. This is, Schaefer concluded, the final apologetic. Unloving attitudes and words cause a stench that the world can smell. Our sharp tongues 
the lack of love between us, these are what properly trouble the world. And you know what? The irony is staggering. We spew venom in the name of defending our sense of orthodoxy and in so doing destroy the vibrancy of our faith and our witness to the world more than a thousand heresies. So very true. The disciples struggled with unity. They did. You can read there in the Bible. I mean, it's not, it's not cleansed. It's not scrubbed of all the human brokenness. It's there. You see the, the arguing, the infighting, the fighting to get to the top. Who gets to hang out with Jesus forever in heaven? It's just silly when we think about it. But, you know, broken hearts, sinful hearts, stuff comes out sometimes. And we even look back. I'm sure Peter, years later, years later, thought to himself, we were real idiots. Poor Jesus, he had to endure us that whole time. The disciples struggled with unity. They argued among themselves. The, Paul and Barnabas, they struggled with unity. They're on display right in the Bible. And it ended up dividing their ministry, which God was able to use because Barnabas was able, they were able to do twice the amount of work, visit twice the amount of churches. But I'm sure that's not exactly how God wanted that thing to shake down. The Corinthian church as a whole is a, is a study in conflict and struggle. And Paul had to step in there. The, the elders of the church wrote Paul and said, what do we do with this and what do we do with that? It's causing conflict and disunity in the church. They were, some were saying, I follow Paul. Others, I follow Apollos and Barnabas. There was, there was real struggle there. It required instruction. It required, required Grace and patience had to be dealt with. So here's some do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts of, of, of unity. Don't believe. When it comes to, well, and so I'm going to get into a little bit of practical here, and there's so much more, but because I started with just saying, hey, put on Jesus. Put on, clothe yourselves with compassion and patience for one another. And that's easier said than done. But if we put that in front of us and we make that choice over and over again, if it's difficult for you, if it's something you can't do, then may I suggest you have an issue with bitterness, okay? That, that maybe something in your past, someone has offended you. Maybe there's an open account of offense inside your heart that needs to be dealt with. Because being able to forgive should be like breathing in and out. I breathe in the forgiveness of God of forgiveness of God. I breathe out forgiveness for others. It should be that easy. And if it's not that easy, then you need to go back to the first one, learning how to breathe in. And perhaps, you know, to forgive others their sins when they sin against you, just as Jesus did yours. Important, important. So here's some other, you know, practical things. Don't believe secondhand info or gossip. If you didn't see it or hear it from the person directly, do not accept it. Shut that down. This is a tremendous challenge, I know, in the church. But gossip invites and increases separation and disunity among believers. It's absolutely like a cancer. Gossip is the devil's strategy. It's his goal to separate and destroy. That's how he worms his way into the church. He gets people to doubt our motives, and we begin to question and man, that, I mean, I've seen that over the years. My gosh, have I seen it over the years. I mean, after 30-some-odd years in ministry, you see this a lot. And it, it's heartbreaking when I see even perfectly mature Christians get caught up in this. If you didn't hear it yourself, and if you want to know, 
I mean, if you've got the itching ears and you really got to know what somebody said about someone else, then go to that person directly. I mean, if it's your own. Somebody told me one time, and I was sharing this the other day, it's just like, look, if you happen to overhear somebody talking about you with someone else, just keep walking. That's none of your business. You say, well, absolutely. No, it's not. It's not your business to know what others think about you. Because the truth is, you don't know the whole picture. I'm actually writing my second children's book is about this. Is you don't know the full picture. You know what? I might be frustrated with my children. Or let me just do something safe. You know, Andrea, Andrea sometimes sees my frustration, but she also sees my love. She'll see my frustration over something that I might say and somebody over here, but they didn't hear the rest of the conversation where I stroke her face and say, but honey, we're in this together. I love you. And you may not fit all the bill of what I think. And most of that's because of my selfishness and my lack of insight, not yours. But if somebody just heard that part of the conversation, they would just say, oh, Pastor David and Andrew are not doing well. Hey, did you hear that? Next thing you know, we're on the verge of divorce, right? Matter of fact, we recorded that, didn't we? Somebody's going to get something out of that. <laughs> That's how crazy gossip is, man. It's ugly. It says it's like a choice morsel going down to the innermost parts. Mmm. Oh, that tastes so good. I love, and we're all there, man. We all love the choice information, right? Hey, did you hear? Mm. I mean, we all just start running for that. Maybe I could get more people to church if I put that on the side. Hey, did you hear? People come flocking. I don't know. I'm just playing. But look, we got to shut that down. It's a devil's language. Man, don't, don't get involved in gossip. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't fall into that trap of talking about other people when you don't know the information. If, you, if you're concerned about something, go up the ladder of authority. Go find you an elder. Go find you a pastor and talk to them if there's a concern. Or just go, I mean, if there's something that you're concerned about, just go to them directly. And what often you'll find is like, well, I, I don't think that at all. Or, where'd you hear that? You know? Man, just don't even touch it. Walk on, leave it alone. Look, don't we all have enough to can be concerned about? I mean, why should we want to know about other people's problems? I got plenty of my own today. You know? I got an elders meeting at 5.30. Come on. I'm just playing. All right. Don't take someone else's offense. Don't take someone else's offense. They were right when they said... It sets you up to look for someone else's failures. You know, to, to take on someone else's offense, somebody tells you something, they're telling you about how they got hurt. You know, what you need to do right now, the, the best deflection of that is to say, look, have you talked to them? Well, no, but I just, please don't tell me anymore. Because you're setting me up to stumble. You're my friend. And if I know somebody else hurt you, and I don't know the whole story, then all I'm going to do is put on your offense, and why should I be offended about something that I really don't even know the whole part of? So these are practical things. So a couple of don'ts, and then some do's. Do believe the best in people. The, the worst is easily forgiven, because a lot of times what we think is terrible are things that we've done ourselves. Didn't James say that? How do you recognize sin unless you didn't do it yourself? Oh, that's sin. Well, how do you know? Well, I'm I heard it. I read it in a book. No, you did it. That's why you know it. 
do believe the, uh, the best in people and move on. It's to our glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19.11 tells us. It is to our glory. It's not just to keep us out of trouble. God actually looks upon that favorably. Do remember that sowing discord will shut down the grace flowing into your own life. Is there, is there, a, is there a, a consequence to, to sowing discord and, 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 and not? It said earlier that it's like, it's like the dew. It's like the oil that's poured over Aaron head, Aaron's head and runs over his beard and under the collars of his robe. I mean, you read that and think, what's the big deal with that? No, the oil represented the favor of God. The oil, when it was poured on, meant the anointing, meant God's hand is upon him. When they saw and observed that being poured over Aaron, the priest, the high priest, it meant favor for all the people. And that's the same thing for us. It's like the oil. When we walk in unity and choose unity and push away disunity, and we'll not be drawn into gossip and complaining and, and, and causing havoc in the background by picking on little things and, and, and drawing out and, and, and rehearsing problems and discord. Um, when we choose not to do that, man, that invites the grace of God. And imagine a church that refuses as a whole to ever allow that to happen. Wow, the favor of God upon that church. Do remember that choosing peace means choosing to focus on what is good and not on bad. There's always two tracks. You know, there's always two different ways to look at something. Am I right? And if you're a negative person or an energy taker, and it's always going to kind of seem to flow in. Well, they always are doing that. And the church, man, I'll tell you the church. Always ripping people off. <laughs> always asking for money. Always this, always that. It's like, dude, look, come and sit in my seat for a while and know that you're going to have to stand before God and give an account for what you do. And I, this is not a profit-making business, Okay. I have to come up here and tell you, folks, look, we got, a big, we got a big call. It's much bigger than us. I am not a millionaire. I wish I could finance the whole thing myself. I can't. I've got five kids to feed. I've got to do this. We've got to do this together, and I need you. We need to do this together. We need to have, we need to have a lot more of those trunk retreats, by the way. We need to have more outreaches than we plan to in 2017. Folks, we've got to get to the business. I get to the business. We've got to do this together. So don't argue or complain about those things. That's worthless. We should be rejoicing in what we're doing for God rather than picking and tearing it apart. I love, and I need to put this, I need to make a painting of this. Let him who thinks it can't be done get out of the way of those who are doing it. <laughs> Let's not pick on those who are doing it even if it's not as good as it could be. Let's get on with it. Do approach a person to address the offense. If you don't, you have no bis business telling others. If you don't plan to do anything with your offense, just keep it to yourself. It's to your glory to overlook the offense. And if you can do that, fine. If you can't, if you can't get past it, then go and talk to him. Go and show, just like the Bible teaches us, Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Peacemakers are blessed by God, Matthew 5. Perfect love casts out all fear. 1 John 4, 18, when we're focusing on unity and, 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 and um, cultivating love among us, it's going to cast out the fear. I mean, what would you give to have a fearless life? We don't worry about anything. 
anxiety. You can't remember the last time you were anxious about anything. Why would we turn over stones that we know only brings more concern and cares and struggles? Mm -mm. Like I said, stick to your own. Unity requires that all parties take personal responsibility for staying unified. To stay unified, we have to choose brokenness, submission, and separation. We can't get to unity without taking the other steps first. It starts with a broken people. It starts with people who recognize that we all need Jesus. There's no one here that's more special than the other. We all have sin. We all have issues. We all do. They just happen to be different. And it's part of the problem. As we're sitting there pointing at somebody, look at their mess. Well, just because they don't have the same mess doesn't mean yours is any less messy. We all need to see that together. And then being submitted to one to another, you know, that we, we take that lack of or need for specialness or, or uh, uh, you know, being set apart. So one party should always move toward understanding and acceptance. The other party should stay available. It's a give and take. We should always have an open heart to receive someone. And, and we should put off that vibe. Look, did I do anything to offend you? I mean, if, if I hurt you, my, my door's always open. You need to come. Go and show. John 17, this is Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. Speaking of his disciples, now he's talking about us. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and me and I am, am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you have sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Notice, that's exactly what, 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 what I was speaking of earlier, is that they will know we're Christians by our love for one another. Colossians 3, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect, what? Unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The word has to be the center of our conversation all the time because that's the thing that, 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 that gets us in shape. It's what puts us back where we need to go. When the word is in the middle of our conversation, when he says love, you can't get to hate. You can't get to judgment when the word is there in the middle of the table. And that's why we need more word. I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again almost prophetically. Look, you can't go in your life where the word of God is. If, if, if the word of God is not in you, you need more word in your life. And you're calling out for God for more change. You're calling out for God to do, to more, to do more inside you. And God's saying, I need more word. I need more word in you. You've got to know it. You've got to believe it. You've got to be able to recite it. I'm not saying, you know, that you know the Bible from cover to cover, but it's not a bad idea. But the more word in us, the more God can do in us. He says, so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. In other words, don't crush people with it. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Looks like to me we just described what we do here on Sunday morning. We sing. We sing about Jesus. 
and then we admonish. Pastor David gets up here and coaches you, encourages you, admonishes you with the word. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through the Father, through him. Why is doing everything in the name of Jesus important? Because it cuts out the stuff that isn't. You can't do anything evil in the name of Jesus. I mean, you know, I suppose you could try. Matter of fact, I've heard in the news somebody saying that they were Christians and then going on to say something evil, and I'm like, huh? <laughs> well, okay. Teamwork is the most powerful creation of God. By ourselves, we have no power. And we have some. But the Bible says, you know, one can put to flight a thousand, right? Two, how many? Ten thousand. Exponential power. So I, I guess I should... Well, I, I actually misquoted my, myself here. <laughs> Teamwork is the most powerful creation of God. By ourselves, we do have power. But with others, we have exponential power. And that's good stuff right there. When we, have, when we are like-minded with a team, then there we can do anything that God asks us to do. Teamwork is an awesome thing. If you've never been a part of a team, you need to get on a team. I, you know... I love the fact that I was involved in team sports. Not so much now with creaky knees and shoulders, but for the, for the most part, I really love the fact that I connected with other brothers on another level. We suffered together. We did things together, and it brought us together. I mean, guys that, that I didn't like at all in the hallway, when we were out there in the field, man, there was a brotherhood. He had my back, I had his back. It, it brought a whole new level of understanding. Teamwork in the kingdom, I am convinced, is essential to spiritual growth. If you can't hang out with a team and get along and do a team, something together as a team, then you still have issues that are very selfish, that are very self-focused, very me. But sometimes we got to get together and we got to push all that stuff together and we got to make a team and we got we to do this together. And it's not about any one individual. And so when somebody succeeds, we all rejoice. Man, you did it. You got there. I hope it's me next. And we can do it together. And we help one another. We push each other forward. I love that idea. Again, you know, I, you, know you may not be able to be a part of a team now, you know, to, to go to the to the rec center and join a, a volleyball team. Or, you, know, you can do those kind of things and, and maybe learn that way. But look, you can be a, become a part of a team here in the body. And that's what I'm really asking us to do. Let's pull together. Get this thing done. When we're like-minded with a the team, then there can, uh, we can do anything that God asks us to do. Remember the Tower of Babel and the principle there. Remember the Tower of Babel. Because God came down and tore that thing apart. I mean, he broke it up. Because he said, God said, there's nothing that they can't do because of their unity. So in negative, you know, so we all know a lot of evil can get done in unity too, right? But it's exponentially better when God's people do it together in unity. God's favor is upon it. It won't be destroyed or scattered, but it will be expanded. It'll change the world. In Romans chapter 15, I'll finish with this verse. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the spirit of, in, of unity. This is Paul praying. 
the spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? I think we've lost the sense of why gathering together on Sunday mornings is an important thing. I think we really have. I think we've, we've fallen into churchism. And that we just see, well, I want to you know, make the pastor happy, make sure he sees me, that I'm there, check off the box. No, 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 no. It's so important that when you come together with other believers, that you're learning that you're not alone. That you're learning that we're doing this together. And there is a whole aspect of sanctification. There's a whole aspect of your spiritual maturity that goes forward when you do it with other people. It just, it doesn't get touched. There was, I tell you what, <laughs> one thing that's a perfect example is marriage. Man. You don't know how much how selfish you are until you get married. I mean, just let that one sit out there. So very true. It gets to the deepest aspects because you can't hide. It's there. All of it's good, bad, and ugly. And when we make it work by the grace of God, it, it can change the world. It's an awesome thing. But let me keep going. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God Accept one another then as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And that's what it's all about. When the church is walking in unity, we experience a greater understanding and the heart of God. It opens up the heavens for us to get it. But then, folks, we bring honor to God. And we change the world. It can do it. So I want to encourage you, you know, I mean... I'd love this to be like a halftime speech and say, now, get out there and kick some stuff. Like my coach used to say, go and hit something. Don't just walk around out there in the field, hit something. Absolutely. Folks, go out there and love somebody. Go love somebody that is unlovable. Do it. Give something to someone that you don't think deserves it. Give your time to somebody that you think is deplorable or despisable. Go do that, man. Bust up your own prejudice. Bust up your own issues by facing it with love. And watch what God does. Amen? Let's stand up this morning. And by the way, when you do that out there, it affects us in here. Moves us forward. Amen. Let's bow our heads.